Like try going to the coach and say, well, my dad's got this really cool idea of something he wants our family to do every Tuesday, so I'm not gonna make it a practice. Like that doesn't work in our culture. You're, you as a, as a mother or father are not allowed to design a rhythm that you and your family are living into. You are the bottom of that pecking order. And part of what we're gonna to need to wrestle with is flipping this thing upside down. Hey friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. If you'd like to learn more about what entering into a season of coaching might look like for you and your household, visit 1kh.org for more info. Let's jump into today's episode. How many of you guys were a part of Housecraft, like, 2019, 18, a few of you guys were a part of those, yeah? So we, we are resurrecting a, uh, an ancient uh, rhythm uh, with, uh, with housecraft. So uh, we, we used to do these uh, in various places. I know that we were meeting in a pub for a while and just like try to come up with like, what are some really helpful tools or conversations we can spark uh, for families in Cincinnati? So we're planning to do eight of these this year. Um, so uh, we'll be talking more about our plans for these. Um, I want to talk a little bit about why this exists. And, uh, and a lot of this has to do with, there, it's not controversial at all, at all to say that families in our culture are in crisis. There is massive confusion about what, what is this thing called the family. And we need to have conversations about how, how to do this, how to do this well. Pew Research recently um, reported that the United States is now the number one country in the world uh, with single uh, parent homes. Um, that's, that's kind of blows my mind. I, I still can't, can't believe that that's true, but I, like, I looked at their research like, we're the number one in the world um, per capita of single parent homes. Our, we're, we're on the front lines of the destruction of this thing called the family. And so we want to try to figure out why is that happening? And how, as believers, are we to think about this, this thing that God's entrusted to us as family? So housecraft is a way to do exactly what that word says. How do we craft our houses? And when we, we use the word house, we're talking about the establishment of a multi-generational family. Like, how do we craft that? What are the things, what are the tools that really uh, make that uh, work? So I think that uh, when we talk to families about the primary issues they're, they're wrestling with as a household, we constantly hear, we are overwhelmed. We are exhausted. Life is too chaotic. I am burning out. Okay, so this is the, the first and sort of foremost issue that we often hear and, and try to figure out how to resolve this. How do, we, how, do we, how do we do family in a way where this is not constantly our experience of family? And so we want to start there. There are, there are some really cool topics I cannot wait to get to explore with you guys if you come to uh, future housecrafts. But we need to start with where most of us live and the biggest points of pain most of us are feeling, which is this, this sense of being overwhelmed or just, just so busy. So like this is the picture that I like the typical family is just like so much going on. Things are just scattered everywhere. How do we figure all this out? Um, and so what a lot of people, when they are facing this kind of problem, especially in our culture today, 
Um, we are looking for, you know, some kind of technology to solve the problem, right? Is there a secret technology that will solve the overwhelmed, chaotic lives that our family so often leads? Is there, is there an app? Is there a book, right? Is there something that Elon Musk is going to invent that's going to suddenly solve this problem? Maybe an AI uh, is going is to solve this problem. And the reality is, you guys, there is a technology that has been invented to solve this problem. And it's really important to think about this as a technology. And that technology is this thing called the weak. The weak is a technology invented by God to help us solve this very specific problem. Now, why, why do I call it a technology? Well, all the way back in Genesis 1, we read on the fourth day, God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and days and years. And so we know that God did create these celestial bodies, the sun, moon, and stars, as ways to create rhythms in our lives, right? So we have the, the sun that uh, we orbit once a year or that we spin on our axis as the earth once a day that creates a 24-hour day. Uh, the moon is really created by the lunar calendar. What happens with the moon? Um, the, the month happens. Did I say the moon? The month happens through the moon. Where did the week come from? Do you realize that there is no rhythm in nature for the seven-day week? It doesn't exist. And so this, this actual idea of seven days is in Genesis 1. Of course, it's the, it's the way that God actually created. Um, he created uh, all of creation in seven days, and he rested on the seventh day. And so the creation of the week is actually a huge part of what Genesis 1 is really there to communicate to us. And because this is an invention, because this is a technology that is not, doesn't exist within the natural world, lots of different people, uh, uh, different leaders throughout uh, history have tried to figure out ways to avoid the seven-day week. There are, there are two really famous examples. One happened during the French Revolution, uh, where the French decided we're getting rid of this whole religious nonsense and we're going to create a 10-day week. And so they attempted a 10-day week. Productivity plummeted. People were getting sick like no time, and they had to revert back to the seven-day week. And then when uh, Lenin and Stalin took over the Soviet Union, they established the Soviet Union, they said, why would we hold to this seven-day week? So they, create, they got rid of the weekend. They thought we could just work six days and uh, not have seven days. They tried a five-day week. Again, this went on for years in the Soviet Union, and productivity plummeted. People got sick. All kinds of mental issues started to erupt, and they had to move back to a seven-day week. So this experiment of attempting to thwart this technology never works. Uh, why? And there's something about the basic way that God's made our our world, this terrestrial world that we live in, that, that, that is seven days is a, is a critical part of the way that we, the rhythm through which we live this life. Um, because one of, the, one of the things that's odd about a human being is that there are two lifestyles that will lead a human to mental breakdown. One lifestyle is if every single day is different. If you wake up every day and it's completely a different day and you can't predict anything, eventually that's going to wear you out. And it's going to create some kind of breakdown in your life. But if every day is exactly the same, 
You wake up and it's the same day you had yesterday. You know, I've seen Groundhog Day. Like, that is not a healthy way to live either. You will break down mentally if you live every single day as the same. So what kind of creatures are we? That we, if we live every day as different, we break down. And if we have every single day be the same, we break down. Well, we're, we're people designed for a particular kind of rhythm, a seven-day rhythm. That's, that's how we're built. And the, the Bible describes that, of course, right there in the first chapter of Genesis. And then when God talks about, if, if you ask, like, why, why did God create the world in seven days? Why is that in Genesis 1? Why does it say, and there were morning and evening, the first day, the second day, and then he rested on the seventh day? Well, God actually reveals to Israel the reason why he did this. He says in Exodus 20, and this is when he's describing the Ten Commandments, and he's talking about the fourth commandment to rest. He says, I have six days to labor. You have six days to labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat. That's a Sabbath. For in six days Adonai made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. So what God is saying here is he did this to create a pattern for us to follow. He wants us to live into this, uh, this seven-day rhythm. And so we want to think about our lives from this perspective. We are living in a series of sevens. This is the way that we live. We, the rhythm of our lives is, is, is really based and anchored in this thing called the week. And so there's a question that I want to make sure as we begin to dive into how to use this tool, how to use this technology to uh, balance and work out all of the different identities of your your life and all the things you're trying to manage as a family, it really starts by being, being able to answer this question. Do you know your ideal week? So what is your family's ideal week? If you could live that, what would it look like? Do you know what that is? Have you ever designed it? Have you ever sat, sat back and said, okay, what, what is, what is a, an ideal week look like? What's a Sunday? What's a Monday? What's a Tuesday? What's a Wednesday? Now, a lot of people are afraid to, to do this because if you're a perfectionistic, you will feel, oh, I'm going to fail. That perfect week's never going to happen. And so this can be really deflating for people. But it's really difficult not to know what that looks like. Because how do you know what you're aiming at? How do you know how to improve the, the rhythms of your life? And so we want to really dial into how, how our family would live an ideal week. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that this helps us avoid is this uh, tyrannization of the faithful. And I, I kind of got introduced to this concept. I was reading a, a Christian magazine article, and it was describing the week of this poor Christian man. And it said that he goes to church on Sunday morning, and the pastor preaches about how important it is to pray. And he's like, oh, that's right. I, I, don't, I don't pray enough. I don't pray with my family. So he gets, you know, really wants to be faithful to what God's commanded. And so he decides to create some manner of, of prayer. He just gets his family together. They start figuring out how to pray that evening. They go back to church on Sunday evening, and they hear a sermon about how important it is to serve the poor. He's like, oh, that's right. I got to serve the poor. And so he begins to figure out how that week they could go as a family and serve the poor. And on his way to work on Monday morning, he's hearing another sermon about how important it is to memorize scripture. He's like, oh, that's right. Memorize scripture. And then on Tuesday morning, he's listening to another sermon. And then over and over, and then, oh, this poor guy, uh, just by the time the week's over, he's like, I how do I do all this? It's just too much. And so you can't just give people an endless uh, number of burdens without actually helping them order them properly. Like that, that is a critical part of how to, how to figure out how to help somebody. And Jesus uh, said this about religious people. He says in Luke 11, when he's confronting the Pharisees, 
Yes, said Jesus, what sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law? For you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. So Jesus was really upset at the religious leaders of his day because they would list all of the things, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this, but there wasn't any way for them to figure out how to actually lift all of that weight. So we have to be really careful to figure out how to help each other actually live into all of the things that God's calling us to do. And it's important to remember, you guys, that your ideal week is more like a compass and not a destination. So this gives us, if you design this ideal week, it gives you an idea of like what we're aiming at. And if you do this, like 50% of your ideal week you live into, that's a huge success to begin with. You know, so if you get to 60, if you have a week where you're 80% hitting your ideal week, that's awesome. Be very careful of perfection because it makes this whole process of knowing the direction that we're trying to head as a family really, really difficult. And a big part of where this, I think, breaks down for a lot of Western people, and this is when we talk to families about actually designing their ideal week and beginning to lead their family into their, their ideal week, they immediately slam into this problem, which is like, there are so many other people telling us what to do with our time. And um, I discovered there's sort of a pecking order within culture about who's allowed to tell you what to do with your time. So if you go to your coach and you're, you're talking to him and he's like, you gotta be a practice these four di- days a week and you gotta go be at the game on Saturday. You're like, oh, one of those practices, I, I have a class. And if I don't take that class and pass it, then I'm going to not be able to graduate. Okay, the coach might make an exception for that, right? But if you go to him and say, um, my pastor really wants us to be at this worship thing every week, that's probably not going to fly, right? And so the teacher is kind of on the top of the hierarchy of our culture. The teacher can tell us how to, how to order our lives. The coaches, they have a lot of power to tell us things. You know, pastors, they have a certain amount, you know, people that are trying to build into us spiritually, but they're, they're never to really contradict the coaches or the teachers. But the, really the bottom of that list is the mother and father. Like try going to the coach and say, well, my dad's got this really cool idea of something he wants our family to do every Tuesday, so I'm not going to make it a practice. Like, that doesn't work in our culture. You're, you, as a, as a mother or father, are not allowed to design a rhythm that you and your family are living into. You are the bottom of that pecking order. And part of what we're going to need to wrestle with is flipping this thing upside down and saying, if you begin to craft that idea we can live into it, one of the things you're going to have to decide as a family is that we do uh, have the both responsibility and privilege as the leaders of our family to design a rhythm and to enforce it on our, our time and allow, and the world needs to respect that. And so this is a very uh, major part of the tension that we feel. Another uh, real challenge that we have in trying to understand how, why we struggle living rhythmically as a culture is not just because of the different uh, roles in society, but it's just the way we view time. Like we, we have a very specific way of thinking about time and every culture has slightly different ways of, of viewing time and even the way that different languages describe time, they describe time in different ways. And so I wanna give you guys three examples of ways that time can be perceived. So in the West, we think of our life, the time of our life um, as, a, as a arrow that leads to a life of endless doings. We have what sociologists call a, a hyper-linear view of time. So 
we, we think of time as this, this, it goes in one direction. Our stories are told this way. And so this linear way of time causes us to burn through rhythms in pursuit of this great major thing that's way out in the future, right? So if, you're, if you are a freshman in college, you're thinking about what life's going to be like someday when you graduate. But while I'm in college, I'm not really trying to steward these weeks at the maximum level. I'm just trying to achieve these goals because they accumulate to this one big event, which is I graduate from, from college and now I go off to my life. This is the way that Western people think about time. Uh, so we, we really value goal setting and these major accomplishments. A lot of people that have a vacation that they're really excited about, they'll think about that even though it's only once a year, they'll burn through the weeks of their life in order to pursue this thing that, that's off into the future. So that's, that's a linear view of time. In the East, there is a, there, in the kind of an ancient Eastern culture, there, there tends to be a hyper cyclical view of time. And so a lot of the way that, that people in the East traditionally had talked about time is that the seasons come and the seasons go and everything's a cycle and things kind of move in that way. And you're not really changing anything. Uh, you're just existing within this cycle. And your parents, your grandparents, your ancestors lived in the same cycle and your descendants are going to live in that cycle. And, and we're just here on the planet for this period of time. And the goal is to sort of become at peace with, with this, this cycle that, that really isn't moving us anywhere. It's just, it's just going around and around and around. So that view of time really creates this lifestyle of passive existing. A lot of reasons why a lot of the uh, discoveries occurred uh, in the West is uh, sometimes just because of these two different views of time. And so the way you think about time, it really dominates how you view life as a whole. Now, what is it in scripture? Are we, does scripture really think about time? Does it describe time in this, this linear way or is it more cyclical? And so I really like this image of like a spiral because what you get in scripture is the idea that we are progressing towards something, but we're doing it through rhythmic cycles. And so the Bible says a ton about these rhythms. Like I described right there in the first chapter of Genesis, we're told that the sun, moon, and stars, their primary purpose was to create rhythms in the world. And then you have throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel living into these seven-day rhythms and they were living into annual rhythms and they were living into seven-year rhythms. And then they had a, a massive rhythm of every 49 years of, or seven sevens was the year of Jubilee. So all of these cyclical patterns did exist within the Hebraic culture, but they, were, they, weren't, the, they weren't such that they weren't going somewhere. They weren't creating uh, movement for people towards uh, God's ways. And so this leads to a life of progressive being. You're moving towards something, but it's what, what matters is who you, who you are. And this is why we want to take a step back and say, what does this ideal week look like? So this is what we want to encourage you guys to think through. Um, do you know what this looks like? A few things on here, like, yeah, you, you think about like a, a week and trying to figure out how you design um, and there, you can use colors or what you can create different uh, blocks of time, however you want to do that. Um, this is an example of doing it like on a spreadsheet. If you want to use something like paper, um, we have a family plan calendar at Family Teams uh, that you can use that a lot of people use so they can do this with their kids. Um, but there are different tools that we need to try to figure out how to create this uh, ideal week, this ideal rhythm. And again, remember, 
that, that ideal rhythm is really a compass. It's leading us towards the kind of life we want. And the, the first step to this, you guys, is to do this badly and then to improve it over time. Um, we're going to spend some time and give you guys uh, 12 tips for how to do this. Um, us and the Smiths are going to uh, talk through that with you guys. But we just want you to be aware of this larger concept. One of the reasons why I think this is so helpful for families is that oftentimes what, the way we love to see families adopt uh, a rhythm, design a rhythm, is to begin by thinking through their identities. What are the identities that they, they really want to live into? I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. You know, I'm a brother, I'm a sister. Uh, oftentimes when we're just like aggressively going after our, our goals, our identities can take a back seat. But how am I living into the, the elements of my identities on a weekly basis? And so you can only live what you can live in terms of a, a core identity, what you can actually do in a seven-day rhythm. There was a guy that was actually giving a talk about the importance of rhythmic living from Scripture. And after he was done with his talk, um, this woman came up to him and said, hey, I really loved that talk. That was great. I read your book. Um, and I'm also an author. And he says to her, oh, wow, that's great. You're an author. Did you write anything today? She's like, well, no, I didn't write anything today. But okay, did you write something yesterday? No, I didn't. Did you write something the day before that? How about the next? How about the day before that? <laughs> so he gets down to seven days, and he looks at her and says, "You're not an author. An author writes in seven days." Now that's harsh, right? Because we want to be able to say we could just invent our identity, could be whatever it wants. But that's not the way the world works because of the limitation of time. You need to be aware that, and this is very hard for Western people because I think again we want to be able to invent identities. But we have a very limited amount of time. And so if you want to become a person who is in shape, you can't just imagine you're a person who's in shape. You have to actually work out. Uh, and how often do you have to work out? Well, it's got to fit into a seven-day cycle. Um, so we, we, we want to think about our identities and honor our identities by making sure that we're blocking time for the, the core parts of who God's called us to be. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about A Thousand Houses or discover what a season of coaching might look like for you and your household, visit 1kh.org. We'll see you for the next episode.